Hey everyone, it's Mariah and Danny. Welcome to our podcast, Behind Behavior, where we take a look at the science behind behavior and how we actually use it in real life. Short disclaimer, nothing we say on this podcast in any way reflects the opinions of our employers or the BACB. All opinions are our own. Also, there may or may not be some explicit language in this episode. One of us tends to swear, and the other one usually doesn't. Join us to find out. Welcome back, Danny. Welcome back to Behind Behavior Podcast. Yes. Here every other Thursday. <laughs> every time. <laughs> oh, what are we talking about today, Mariah? Uh, today we are going to have a very light chat about something not that serious. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, today we're going to talk about three and four term contingencies in behavior, what they are and how to think of them in your everyday behavior contingencies. Danny also said we should put in a trigger warning that this episode is going to get a little more technical and jargony. So, yeah. Up. So, like, if you're studying for the board exam, if you're a BCBA who just likes to talk about stuff, then you're going to like this. If you're not a behavior analyst and you don't know anything about ABA, this might be a little bit technical. But stick around because we're going to try to make it um, useful for everybody. Or if you're a behavior analyst and you never know the differences in your motivating operations. <laughs> we're going to talk about that too. <laughs> Yay! So okay. I think first with this one, we are going to have some definitions like throughout. Like first of all, what the heck is a three-term contingency? Definitely. I had to pull out my whole Cooper book for this, honestly. I brought out my notes just to confirm I was thinking in the correct headspace, mm -hmm. and I was, but I really like motivating operations, so this is kind of a fun one. Yeah. We really got the idea for this episode when I was trying to explain behavior contingencies to a friend who's studying like ancient latin or something super, something super unbehavioral right and i gave a quick little example and their feedback was that my example was the most exhilarating thing they would be learning all day <laughs> exhilarating i love that adjective so if people who study ancient ancient latin stuff think behavior is exhilarating i believe that our listeners will too Okay, listeners, buckle up. Accelerating. Accelerating. <laughs> okay, so let's start out with like, what is a three-term contingency? So when we talk about contingencies, we just mean um, how reinforcement and or punishment influences future behavior in a specific situation. So three-term contingency is going to be one of the most very basic contingencies that you find in ABA which is applied behavior analysis which is applied behavior analysis thank you so three-term contingency 
Uh, let's see. Let's do it like a little bit more technical and then I'll explain it kind of in plain language. So three-term contingency, just like it sounds, has three parts. The first is going to be this stimulus in the environment. The second part is going to be your response. And the third part is going to be the stimulus change. This is either going to be your reinforcement or your punishment that influences your future behavior when you see that same stimulus again. A really common way to talk about this is the ABCs of behavior. I use this a lot in my work and in my trainings. Here the A stands for antecedent. That's just anything that comes before the behavior, typically something in the environment. Um, B, of course, is the behavior that you observe. And then C is the consequence. So sometimes consequence can have like a negative connotation to it. But when a behavior analyst says consequence, we just mean literally anything that happened after. Could be positive, negative, or neutral. Doesn't really matter. Right. I love when you're talking to someone and they're like, they need to learn the consequences. And I'm like, trust me, they are. They know. And that's why they did it. (laughs) Right. Like maybe this was a positive consequence for them and they keep doing this. Yeah. So that's the three term really is just the before, the actual behavior, and then the after. Pretty simple. Mm -hmm. Pretty simple. The four-term contingency gets a little something extra on the Mm -hmm. front of it, which is your motivating operation. Motivating operations are value-altering effects. So over the umbrella term of motivating operation, there's two terms that you can kind of decipher from. It's either going to be an establishing operation which we might refer to as an EO Mm -hmm. throughout this episode. But an establishing operation has an evocative effect, which is going to evoke behavior. Mm -hmm. Additionally, there's an abolishing operation, which is going to have an abative effect, which is going to stop behavior. So essentially, the MO would come before the stimulus response and then the stimulus change so it'll be like mo abc essentially right similar to the establishing operation being called the eo and abolishing operation we might refer to as an ao throughout this episode an eo is going to momentarily increase the effectiveness of the stimulus that's present While you guys can probably assume the AO is going to momentarily decrease the effectiveness. Um, It's just important to remember anything that's ending in an O right here is essentially going to be a motivating operation. It's just one or the other. Right. So basically a motivating operation, like Mariah said, either increases or decreases, but basically it just changes how effective or non-effective that stimulus is going to be. And if this sounds confusing, don't freak out because we've got some examples. And once you hear some examples, I feel like it's really going to click into place. I was trying to brainstorm examples for this when we were going to write notes for the episode, Mm -hmm. but I was thinking of it like super technically. Yeah, And then I was like, wait, I can't think of anything. And I was like, okay, why don't I just think of a typical behavior I do anyways and then dissect it? Yes. (laughs) Like, probably took me way too long to think of, like, everyday examples. And then 
I just had to like shake myself out of it that I was overthinking it, which I think is very similar. A lot of people get in their head about MOs and just like the three and four term contingencies and how they work. Mm -hmm. Most people are probably not going to be thinking of a four term contingency in their day to day, Mm -hmm. especially if you're not in the behavior field. Right. And even if you're in the behavior field, it's really easy to get kind of in your head and be super technical about it. But like Mariah said, whenever we were thinking of examples, really every behavior that you exhibit is probably going to have some sort of uh, contingency contingency chain around it. And there's a lot of really good reasons why you'd want to be able to recognize this chain. It's also a little confusing because some parts of the contingency can turn into multiple parts of like your next set of contingencies. Mm-hmm. And then it's more like circular. Yeah. Which isn't isn't always helpful, but it isn't always wrong. Right. It might be more helpful for some people, especially if you were setting up like trials for an mm-hmm. RBT. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to think of like, okay, well, what's the next like MO in this series? Mm -hmm. Well, your MO could easily be that like reinforcer they just received. Yeah, sure. Doing it over. Right. Let's do some examples. Mm -hmm. So one example I thought of that I do all the time. So in my fridge, I have one of those like Brita water pitchers that just like stays in your fridge. So in this case, I go and I open my fridge and I see that the water pitcher is full. So I there's like a little lever on it. Pull the lever, get some water out, and now I have cold water to drink. I'm a big water person. So in this example, the the stimulus that I'm noticing is the level of water in my pitcher. If it's full, I know that the water is available because it's a clear pitcher, right? So I, I know that there's water for me to drink. If it's empty, then that signals to me that I don't have any water And if I pull on the lever, nothing's going to happen. So we'll assume that the pitcher is full. I'm going to pull on that lever to release the water into my cup. And then in the end, I have cold water, which we know that I like. So that's a reinforcer. So I'm more likely to pull on the lever when the water pitcher is full in the future. So again, that's something I do every day. And obviously, this is very much like over explaining the situation. Mm -hmm. But this is what a three-term contingency could look like during an average day yeah additionally if danny went to the water pitcher in the fridge and realized it was empty that's still the stimulus Mm -hmm. and then she could take the water pitcher out which would still be a response Mm -hmm. and then she could refill it with water yeah depending on the condition that the stimulus is in determines my next behavior so You're exactly right. If I notice that it's empty, I know that that's what we call a delta stimulus. I cannot get water out of it, but it's going to trigger another behavior in my repertoire, which is to take it over to the sink to refill it up. And then I just have to wait until it filters. Ugh, shameful. I know. I hate when that happens. What's your second example, Danny? I only gave one, so. (laughs) Oh, gosh, I had a lot. Um, actually, I want to stay on the water pitcher one for a second because I want to see if we can turn this into a four term contingency. Okay. So knock on wood, this has not happened to me, 
in the house that I currently live in, let's say, for example, it's starting to get like hot and humid outside and my AC goes out and it's very hot in my house. This is going to be a motivating operation for me. It's hot. I need some. I'm going to be more likely to be thirsty and more likely to seek out something that's going to cool me off. So that is going to be an establishing operation or an EO to my going to check the water pitcher, which is the stimulus. We see that it's full. My response is to pull the lever. And then my reinforcement is that cold water in the cup. But that EO of it being hot in the house is going to make that cold water a more valuable reinforcer than if either my house was just neutral, the AC was working, or if it's cold in the house. I don't want a cold beverage when I'm already cold in the house. Really common example of an AO is like, I just ate and somebody offers me my favorite food, even though it's my favorite food, it's not going to be as reinforcing because I'm not right, hungry. because you're already satiated. Yes. Okay, we'll hop over to my three-term example. Yeah, let's hear it. I notice I have dry hands. So that would be an antecedent. Mm-hmm. Then I reach to add lotion to my hands. Mm-hmm. That'll be my behavior. My consequence will be that I now have soft hands. Mm-hmm. So to turn this into a four-term contingency, before I notice I have dry hands, I could have washed them. That would have been like an establishing operation to receiving dry hands in the first place. Yeah, sure. If I went even further, I could say that I needed to use the restroom And using the restroom is an EO to washing your hands, which Mm -hmm. could also be the behavior Mm -hmm. and an additional EO to having dry hands, which would be a consequence or an antecedent. And then adding lotion would be a behavior or a consequence. And then having soft skin could be a consequence still. Right. So like, I feel like this can get a little bit confusing because it's audio, maybe just because I'm a visual person. Mm-hmm. But but you can see how like our behaviors and the consequences of those behaviors totally build and chain off of each other. And this is how we get a learning history. You know, we know that I know through my learning history, when I wash my hands in like a public restroom, you know, like restaurants and gas stations, it seems like they all use the same similar kind of soap. It always dries my hands out so bad. The cheapest, harshest soap on the market. Exactly. So I just through my learning history, I know the consequence of using those soaps. My hands are going to feel so dry. So I learned to carry a little lotion with me Mm -hmm. so that I can add lotion afterwards to soothe that skin. This is how our learning history teaches us whether we realize it or not. Do we want to chat about our actual four-term examples? Yeah, sure. I think Because you had a good one, Mariah. Previously, I've mentioned that my partner and I go around the city and try out new coffee shops Mm -hmm. on Saturdays. So my typical four-term contingency would look something like seeing a new local coffee shop. That's going to have an establishing operation. And then the weekend's coming, which would be our typical coffee date time. So that's the stimulus 
or the antecedent. And then I ask my partner if they want to get coffee. That could also be an establishing operation or it could be the response, the behavior. And then Mm -hmm. we go get coffee. That'll be the reinforcement. And hopefully you like the coffee and that'll be a reinforcer to try that coffee shop again. Right. I order the same thing everywhere I go. So Mm -hmm. it's not like a super thrilling order. (laughs) Well, no, but I mean, I'm just like, I'm sure there are coffee shops that you like that order better than others. Yes. You know? That is true. But when you have such a basic order, you kind of just get through it. (laughs) You can't mess up my order. It's usually like black cold brew. Right. So... Hey, some places cold brew are better than others, though. So, I mean, I definitely agree. I have preferred cold brew places, (laughs) but the coffee itself, like its preparation wouldn't add to my reinforcing value per se. If it was like a latte or something and they messed it up, like sure, Mm -hmm. that would have a value altering effect. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I like that example because it's like i think a lot of people do that they drive around and they see a little coffee shop i think one way um i wanted to articulate the difference between an eo and an ao so in mariah's example she has an eo establishing operation of they always go to a new coffee shop on the weekend and she sees a new local one that looks interesting that's her eo there if we turned that into an ao or an abolishing operation if Mariah and I are driving around and I just had coffee, so I'm not really interested in it anymore. And then Mariah asks me or sees the coffee shop and asks me if I want to go. And I say, no, even though I like coffee, I'm not going to be as interested in it. It's not going to be as reinforcing or motivating for me because I literally just had one. So I'm more likely to say no, even though I like to go to coffee shops. And then in that case, Mariah's going to be sad because I said I didn't want to go get coffee and we drove past the coffee shop. So I'm punishing Mariah for asking me in that situation. Sorry, Mariah. (laughs) I would probably be like, too bad. We're pulling in anyways. You don't have to get anything. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) And Danny would suck it up because she's an adult and can sit in the car if she wanted to. (laughs) I would probably get a water, tea, something else. That's fair. So an even more likely scenario, which has definitely happened several times in my life. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to say this, but you go ahead. <laughs> um. Okay, so it would be something more like it's the morning time, which would be my establishing operation. Mm-hmm. And then I see a coffee shop, which would be my antecedent. My behavior is going to be that I drink coffee and then my consequence will be that I urgently need to find a restroom. I think a lot of people experience that consequence. (laughs) (laughs) This could be seen as a punisher. Mm -hmm. Um, This could also be seen as an, an abolishing operation. If I decide to stop drinking coffee... Right. Um, If I decide to stop drinking coffee because I need to urgently use the restroom, it would be an abolishing operation. However, 
finding a restroom could also be reinforcing and then I can just continue to to drink coffee after that (laughs) right I feel like this is I feel I really like this example actually because it points out a couple of things one this consequence was purely biological I think a lot of people get it get stuck on the word consequence because it's like oh I have to do something you Mm -hmm. don't it like this was a biological response it can be a a consequence consequence can be literally anything that that happens afterwards that you associate with the behavior it also points out reinforcement and punishment which i feel like can be tricky for a lot of people a specific consequence is only a reinforcer or a punishment punishment if it affects future behavior and how it affects future behavior So if Mariah drinks coffee, urgently has to use the bathroom, and that was so aversive to her that she never drank coffee again, that would be a punishing consequence. But if it didn't bother her that much, or she just used the bathroom at the coffee shop and then went on about her day, the coffee was still reinforcing enough to encourage her to do that again in the future, even though she had to go to the bathroom afterwards. I also think that this can change from scenario to scenario Mm -hmm. because I could have been chilling at the coffee shop and easily had a bathroom accessible to me Mm -hmm. or I could have been like out on the town no bathroom in sight now I have to like divert all my plans and like emergency mission like find some place ASAP hopefully you know, I can find something before it's like a disaster. (laughs) Yeah, but that's exactly how our learning histories build on past behaviors, right? You're more likely to get coffee at a Starbucks because they almost always have bathrooms for customers and their bathrooms are usually clean. They're usually pretty nice. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we're out walking and there's just like a coffee like cart or like a food truck and there's like no bathrooms around, you might be more likely to skip it because you know the biological consequence that's going to happen if you indulge in that. Or that's exactly how our learning history works. I might be more likely to delay leaving mm-hmm. the shop. Whereas like, um, if I delay leaving, I'll more likely have this response mm-hmm. by the time I'm ready to go. Yeah. So... There's a lot of different variables in this one. Like it obviously isn't foolproof, but it is very relatable. Yeah. But also like we should say human behavior is complex, right? So like it's always going to depend on a lot of different scenarios. Three and four term contingencies are fun to like talk about and break down. But realistically, like there's so many contingencies at play that it can continue to chain like forever. And they're always changing because Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, after I had to go to the bathroom, I did not stop drinking coffee. So it was not an an abolishing operation. Right. Because you have that history of like, my partner can watch my food and beverage. I'm going to go use the bathroom and I'm going to come back and things are fine. (laughs) Also, going to the bathroom isn't traumatic for me like it is for some of our like clients. Yeah. Who possibly have bathroom trauma. So going to the bathroom for me, it's like, oh, cool. I'm going maybe ahead of schedule for the day mm-hmm. from said coffee. Mm-hmm. But it's not a traumatic experience where I'm just thinking like, I was going to do that same thing today, whether I did it now or I do it in four hours. <laughs> like- yeah. 
That's totally fair. Public restrooms are actually really tricky for a lot of people with anxiety disorders for a variety Mm -hmm. of reasons. So like that person might be less likely to drink a coffee in the shop because they know they don't want to use the public restroom, but they could get it to go and just go home and they're fine. Right. There's a lot of uh, different behaviors around different bathroom settings too. Maybe that could be its own episode. I did not realize we would be talking this much about bathrooms in this episode, to be honest. You know, let's that's get life. Let's get off of the bathroom talk. Not everybody wants to hear about bathroom <laughs> habits. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, Danny, how can you use this to your advantage in everyday life to play off motivation and change behavior? Uh, so outside of planning one's bathroom schedule, I think that recognizing three-term and four-term contingencies can be really helpful because it helps you pick the right reinforcement for that situation. Um, as we talked about a second ago, reinforcement only works if the person actually wants it and it actually increases the likelihood of behavior in the future. So it's important if you're trying to teach, if you're trying to like increase a behavior or teach a new skill or whatever, uh, it's important to set up your MOs to give you the best chance to do that. You know, for example, if I write a contract with myself that says I'm going to do this task and then I get a little treat, but I gave myself a little treat already, <laughs> that that treat's not going to be reinforcing because I already let myself have it. <laughs> So we need to be aware of those MOs beforehand and pick the best reinforcement for that situation. I agree. I definitely think um, trying to play off your motivation to get like the consequence of your behavior can also like really play into antecedent interventions. Mm-hmm. So if I am trying to get motivated to start like a workout regimen and I'm just not into it at all, an antecedent interve- intervention you could do would be like probably setting up your gym bag before you ever plan on going. This could be right. like the night before. Mm-hmm. So by the time you're ready to go, you already have that establishing operation ready Mm-hmm. And it's a lot quicker to get to that consequence of you like moving on to the next step and like getting to the end goal of you working out. Yeah. Whereas if you didn't set that antecedent up, it could be an abolishing operation because now you have a high higher cost response um, of like getting ready to be involved in doing all of that stuff. Response cost for our listeners is essentially... How difficult is it to get to doing that task? Right. How much effort is this going to take on my part? Yeah. Like, is this a high response cost? Is it like canceling your cable bill where you have to talk to somebody on the phone for 45 minutes Mm -hmm. and you feel like you wasted your time? That's a high response cost. Is it like, I don't know, what would be be like no response cost? Um, Um, Okay. I have a better one. Okay. Um, a better example for response costs would be like, I'm really craving a Snickers, but I don't have one. So I need to mm-hmm. get in my car, run to the gas station, purchase a Snickers 
Mm-hmm. That's a high response cost. Whereas mm-hmm. if I was at the grocery store and I had already bought one during my weekly grocery shopping, mm-hmm. then on that random Tuesday, I already have it in my pantry. Mm-hmm. There's like no like response costs associated with that. I just walk to my pantry and it's there. Yeah, exactly. Like a minute trip out of the way. Yeah. So you can gauge a lot of your behaviors by the response cost. But if you're setting up antecedents to help with your establishing operations, then you're more likely to do that behavior mm-hmm. to lead to that consequence. And that's how you can kind of play off your motivation factor. Exactly. So you want to use EOs to motivate yourself to do the behavior. You want to use AOs to abolish your barriers, things that are keeping you from that behavior. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you could easily say you're trying to improve your eating habits. Mm-hmm you could play off your response costs of getting that Snickers, but your abolishing operation antecedent would have been like not getting it at the grocery store. So now you have to put a lot more effort into it if you do want that Snickers still. Sure. Which I would personally just not do. (laughs) Right. I think, you know, another really important thing is if you can pick out the contingency whether it be three term or four term whatever that chain is it also gives you insight into like the function or like the why of be you know behind that person's behavior you know so if we think back to like when i was talking about checking my water pitcher in the fridge after you put water in it it's got a filter so if you see somebody's behavior like that they're checking the fridge a lot and i i do see this in some of my clients check looking in the fridge checking the fridge why might that be and in in our example i was checking it to see the water level because i know once the water the water level has to get so high before i can actually get some in my cup whereas if you didn't see the before and the after of that contingency it just looks like i'm getting up and checking the fridge a hundred times letting all the cold air out you sound like a dad in the Midwest. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> With that, do we want to talk about our bits and bobs for the week? Yeah, for sure. What's yours, Mariah? I thought you were never going to ask. <laughs> Back to bathrooms. Yay. So probably not surprisingly to anyone, but... My last scenario about urgently needing a restroom has played out. And recently it played out with Danny when we were in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. We got coffee. We're walking around. And the next thing I know, I'm whispering in Danny's ear like, I'll be back. I have to find a bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, These scenarios are not like super convenient for me or probably for anybody else. But when nature calls... So, it led me to asking, is there an app that can help with this search for restrooms when I'm out and about traveling? And there is. It's called Flush. The icon is kind of like a toilet paper roll, but it essentially works by you just open the app. It uses your location Mm -hmm. And then it'll pull up every public restroom in the vicinity and it'll tell you where it is. And you can use your little GPS to try to like find, find out where you are and how to get there. And 
it's a lifesaver if you travel a lot or if you just like don't know where you are and you need to go to the bathroom another quick tip for this is if you're in like a city setting always utilize hotel lobby restrooms they're so frequent they're easy to find and nobody bugs you they're usually pretty clean too good bathroom tips what's your bits and bobs danny um it's definitely not bathroom related (laughs) (laughs) so my bits and bobs is actually like a technique i guess uh it's called the pomodoro method i think that means like tomato in french or something i don't know why it's called that nobody asked me um if anybody knows why it's called that message us on instagram or something because i don't know but basically what it is, is it's a timed work or study method where the idea is to work in like 25 minute intervals. Then you take a five minute break, 25 minute interval of work, and then five minute break. And you do that over a certain length of time. You can do um, like three or four of those chains, and then you take a longer 10 or 15 minute break. In the show notes, I'm going to link a Spotify pomodoro playlist that i use this helps me for work a lot because you pick one or two tasks to do in that 25 minutes and that's all you work on and then your next 25 minute round you start on a new task or finish your more or finish your last task but for me this really helps me to stay focused because it's shorter time intervals and i actually find that i get more done in the 25 minutes than i thought that i would and i usually do this in like a two hour interval two or three hours and by the time those two or three hours are up I feel really productive I feel like I got through a lot of stuff this is also really great for like your boring tasks like if you have to plan out your week or answer emails things like that because it gives you a short window in which you have to work on it and then you can be done and don't have to worry about it this is pretty fun I could see this being useful for kind of those adult tasks people kind of make into like a massive hill inside their head mm-hmm. like the ant hill into like a mole hill or whatever scenario yeah. where you're like oh maybe I have to like call someone and make an appointment or something and then by the time you do it you know that task really took like four minutes instead of a half an hour yeah I've definitely used it for like cleaning the house when kind of all those little tasks just pile up so I am very bad at estimating how long a task will take I either way overestimate or way underestimate so you can use this for a lot of different things work house tasks studying a lot of different things it's a cool method it's an interesting to try sounds fun I can't mm-hmm. wait to check out this playlist actually yeah I'm gonna link it in our show notes I also confirmed because we know that I studied French a little bit and mm-hmm. Pomodoro is not French, it's Italian. Italian. I knew it was tomato in some kind of language. It is <laughs> tomato, but I just, with good faith, couldn't let you say that that was French. <laughs> it was tomato in some language. I was half right. <laughs> yes. I still don't know why it's called the tomato method, but. uh, Maybe because your face gets less red doing all these tasks. Sure. We'll go with that. well this has been fun yep all right well 
Please consider rating and reviewing our episodes if you're enjoying or even not enjoying our podcast so far. It helps others find our podcast when you search it. Thanks for listening today. You can find us on Instagram at Behind Behavior Pod, on Facebook at Behind Behavior. Or if you're old school, send us an email at contactbehindbehavior at gmail.com. Smell you later. Bye.